Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. How do we deal with a chaotic, uncertain, and challenging world? There are transformative tools that can change your life, and the beautiful thing is that you don't have to go anywhere to get them. My guest today is master meditation teacher, author, and filmmaker, Tom Cronin. In this inspirational episode, Tom reveals to us how we can harness our own internal power, strength, resiliency, and more. Find out how these gifts all lie within you. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. It was so wonderful when you were able to talk a few weeks ago. You have just had an amazing career. Just what got you into mindfulness, meditation? What has your journey been that got you doing all of these amazing films and projects that obviously your heart is very into? Yeah, definitely a lot of passion around it. And, you know, it's like anyone that's looking to make changes in their life. It's usually inspired by discomfort or pain or suffering. And so for me, that was definitely the case. I was cruising along in a really successful career as a broker in finance. And, you know, my world was amazing. I had a lot of money. I was very young and you just get pulled into the excitement of that. But that lifestyle and that career had uh, some challenging components to it. It was fast. It was furious. It was frenetic. And that was daytime. Nighttime was a lot of entertaining with clients. It was out late till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, a lot of drugs, drinking, partying. And then weekends, you know, I was a young guy and I had a bunch of mates. And so we'd go out to huge clubs and raves and, again, more drugs, more drinking. So over time, when there's an overwhelm in a system or too much demand on a system, it starts to deteriorate. Uh, And eventually, in engineering terms, it reaches what's called a bifurcation point, which is a point where it struggles to continue on with that demand that's being put on it. And that certainly was what happened to me, you know, at the age of 29. The demands that I was putting on my body, you know, through that lifestyle and those choices was just too much. And my system literally started to collapse down. I had a a nervous system breakdown effectively. So I was in a very dark place, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, a lot of depression, a lot of contemplating whether I actually wanted to live life really in a very dark place and that was the time that in that dark night of the soul that I found meditation or it found me and it was a really significant turning point for me it was really quite a transformational experience and there was a lot of things in my life that I was craving and yearning for but when I found meditation I was like that's what I was looking for you know and it was this incredible epiphany that all of our distractions and desires are ultimately leading us to hopefully to the true source of what we're looking for. And in meditation, that's what I started to find in the inward exploration. So then I became really passionate about sharing that with the world. So here I am now. I think that's so true. I think we're really, as human beings, we're programmed that the programs for happiness we think are outside of ourselves. And so we're looking for things out here in the world to Fill that, you know, and here you had, it sounds like everything that people might want with money and friends and going out and living this big life. And yet your inner life is what was missing. 
Yeah, I distinctly recall a day, uh, and I still can visualise this moment. I was on holidays uh, in a, one of my most favourite locations in the world, a place called Byron Bay, which is a very sort of cool, hippie, amazing beachside town in New South Wales. And I was curled up in a ball on the bed of this sort of hotel resort type room. And I was in incredible state of, of fear, dread, loathing, just deep depression. And I was counting on all my fingers, all the good things that were in my life. And I had a beautiful, stable family, like my mother and father and my brothers and sisters, you know, no divorce, no drinking, no violence, no abuse, nothing. Beautiful, beautiful family, all wonderfully connected. Had an amazing job earning multiple, multiple six-figure salaries. Had a wonderful partner that just adored me. I had lived in a beautiful beachside suburb in Sydney and everything, like I couldn't fault anything. Yet I was miserable. I was so deeply unhappy. And... I didn't know where to turn because our coding, our program is that we should be ticking off all these boxes and acquiring all these things in our life and then we should have happiness. And I had done that. I'd completed that task. I'd fulfilled the job title and had done what was required of me to do according to the blueprint that I was carrying, that that's how we get happiness, which is why we've got such a chronic problem in the world because the coding's faulty because it can't be found in that place. and it wasn't then that I realized how to find it. It was because I went to meditation classes and meditation classes because I just want to get rid of the anxiety and I was told that that would help. I was really looking at getting rid of the pain point, not trying to find enlightenment, but it was in that journey of going inward that I went, no one told me that it was there. <laughs> Why is no one telling me that it's inside, not outside? And so that's why I became really passionate. It's like this information is thousands of years old. Enlightenment's been around for 10,000 years. Why is it that no humans, except for like a few hundred thousand, a handful of them on the planet, were really spending time to acquire it at that point? This was in the mid-90s. So I became incredibly passionate and probably annoyingly so. I'm a little bit less ag uh, <laughs> aggressive about it these days to bring this exploration to the inner world in, into the world. So in the 1990s then, how did your journey progress? You were in so many ways transformed by this inner journey where then you found where the source of peace and happiness and well-being was lying and that it was all within you. What was your next step of emergence back into the world? Yeah, I think it's important we, we clarify here because it sounds like this incredible epiphany and I became enlightened in three weeks. It, that certainly wasn't the case. And it's still an onward journey after 25 years. So look, there was significant changes. I started sleeping better. All my addictions started to melt away. I just felt happier. I had less anxiety. The depression melted away. And I went back to work and became a functioning broker again. I actually spent 16 more years in that career to conclude a 26-year career as a broker. So it's not like I became a monk and started teaching meditation. So I went back to work and I used meditation on a daily basis to help me with the stress management. But as I kept meditating, I started to explore further and further down that rabbit hole, started to do more advanced practices, studied in India, studied with some amazing teachers and had this insatiable appetite for the knowledge, the wisdom that I started to explore. So book after book, course after course. And all the while I was devouring that and doing retreats while I was a broker. So I was still integrating a normal day life as a in finance, family, all that sort of stuff. 
it just was a gradual unfolding over time. This is the process. It's a slow gradual process. It's not like you're suddenly enlightened and I don't want anyone to delude themselves that this is the process. And unfortunately what we have in our society is this hunger for get, for getting, you know, instant gratification, which is why we'll take a pill rather than do the work. And of course, taking the pill isn't the work and you have to still do the work. I know a lot of people who are still taking the pills and still need to do the work and it's not quite getting them to that awakened state. So not to dismiss things like medication, of course, if someone's using it, then there's a very valid reason. I'm sure it's just a matter of what else can we do? So for me, it was an ongoing process that even still to this day, it's a process of exploration and using those tools and integrating into daily life. I think that's such an important clarification because you didn't just abandon your life. I think sometimes people still have the misconception that if you're doing meditation, then you have to leave all your worldly possessions behind and you have to go sit up on the top of a hill and join some monastery. And that's just not the case. It sounds like you beautifully were able to start integrating that into your day-to-day life and it becomes much more than a coping skill. It becomes just an integral part of your life than in who you are, but it affects or colors the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, firstly and foremostly, you don't have to change your lifestyle. Well, your life, you don't have to change your partner. You don't have to change your job. You don't have to change the suburb you live in. What it does do exactly as you said, it enhances and uplifts all areas of your life. Your relationships will be better when you are happier when you have more love or oxytocin, the biochemical for love flowing through your veins, when you sleep better, when you have the capacity to manifest more abundance, you know, these things generally are going to affect your life in all areas. Your health will be better. Your career will be better. People will come to me wanting to learn to meditate. I ask them why. Um, like, I, I think I'd need to steal my mind. It's like, yeah, but why? You know, really what we're looking for is a better life. And so this is just a, a very efficient and effective tool that can help you have a better life. And that's really what we're all seeking. We're not actually seeking to have a still mind. That's, what's the point of that? <laughs> what we're seeking is a better life. I know that that's one of the misconceptions that we are going to have absolutely no thoughts. And when I've done my own workshops, I speak to that too, because we call it the monkey mind or that we have these minds that are constantly thinking. So help us understand that piece and the clarification of what stillness means in the mind. Yeah, you know, there is a point we can arrive at in our meditation experience that's called samadhi. And samadhi is when the mind becomes still, yet we're awake. And this is also called transcendence, where the mind has gone beyond the thinking process. And it's a beautiful experience where we have an awareness about being present. There is a consciousness that is in this moment, but there's not the shifting neurological pathways. There's no fluctuations of the mind thinking about something past or future, good or bad, right or wrong. We just have a simple state of awareness. We call this pure consciousness. And what happens in this moment is because it's such a profoundly beautiful state for the mind that doesn't have any discriminating tendencies in it, 
we get this wonderful level of blissfulness come through the body. So we get a release and a trickle into our bloodstream of oxytocin and serotonin, sometimes melatonin. Some, some meditators can get a sleepiness and drop into a sort of a sleepy state, and that's a deep relaxation that prevails. So beautifully what prevails is this incredible level of not necessarily euphoria, but certainly blissfulness that feels very, very charming. How long do you feel like you carry that state with you? I read Sam Beasley's book, Your Life is Your Prayer. And it was really talking about when you start attaining or experiencing these states more and more, it really can become more of your daily life. And I'm wondering if that's your experience. Yeah, absolutely. The, the point of having a regular meditation practice, when I say regular, certainly once a day, but ideally if you can, and it's not going to be every day you'll get this, but if you can twice a day, one in the morning, one in the evening, what starts to happen is we get this infusion and enmeshing of what happens in our meditation experience into our experience outside of meditation. And this is really the longer term benefits of having a meditation practice, a consistent meditation practice is the, the emergence of a meditation experience in our non-meditation experience. So what you start to feel when you're cooking dinner or on a podcast or when you're walking your dog or when you're doing, you know, putting the garbage out or when you're driving in traffic is you get this wonderful background blissfulness that is consistently there. Even during difficult times, it can still be there in a subtle way. And what we're looking to do here is sustain a beautiful, quiet watchfulness that prevails through each and every moment of our day. And this is obviously where we see these enlightened monks eventually arrive at, you know, the Eckhart Tolle's of the world. But you can see that there's such a sustained and consistent level of quietness and observation and non-fluctuating emotional reactivity to daily circumstances that allows them to just walk in peace through life. And that's really what we're looking to do here is use meditation as a vehicle that becomes an infusion into our daily life that allows us to have a very peaceful and happy life. Because ultimately that's what we're looking for is a peaceful, happy life. Ultimately. When you talk about meditating in the morning and night, how long do you meditate? What would be a standard course or, or a standard sit in meditation? Yeah, it depends on the technique that you've learned and the teaching and the practice. Ones that I teach and practice, I recommend around 20 minutes morning and 20 minutes afternoon. I find that's a sufficient time to de-excite the mind and nervous system and body. You know, we're in quite a hyper-stimulated state in our daily world, certainly in the Western world, probably global world now. So it's going to take a good, you know, sometimes five, 10 minutes to get the, the mind and body to really start to unwind. And so, you know, then we need, you know, another period of time to access those deeper states. So I find 20 minutes is sufficient, but other practices recommend an hour. And it depends on really the technique and what you've been taught through that tradition. I know the Vipassana style meditations and the sitting style meditations are kind of recommending upwards of an hour for those ones. And so do you use a mantra or a word when you do your 20 minutes? What, what seems to work best for you? I find the technique I've used for 25 years now and the one that I primarily chose to teach is a Vedic meditation practice that has a, a Vedic mantras. So these are 
I guess some techniques that would sort of come under that transcending style meditation banner would be the TM transcendental meditation, primordial sound technique Art of living has uh, this style of meditation in their trainings. So it's where you use these ancient primordial vibrations or sounds that work as like a sort of entrainment process. So for instance, if you, a part of a crowd at a Metallica concert and there's 10,000 people rocking it out at that concert, what happens is there's an entrainment where you sink into the collective vibration. Same thing when you're watching a horror movie, you'll start to have the vibration of that uh, frequency of the film. If you're listening to rock music or you know, reading a sad book or watching The Notebook or having a conversation with a girlfriend who's you know, having a really difficult time, we, we tend to find sometimes that there's an alignment to that vibration that sinks into us. So these mantras work on a similar premise where when we repeat this sound inside our head, it has a sort of a synchronization process that affects the brain, brain frequencies or brainwave frequencies. And that takes the mind out of the alpha beta brainwave states into these deeper states like delta and gamma and brings a very deep sort of relaxation in the brainwave. Generally, I recommend to do these styles of meditation. My, my highest recommendation is to find a teacher, learn in person. I've done something that hasn't been done before this weekend, and that's for the first time. Literally, I'm starting straight after this podcast with one of the first students, and we're going to translate that course into Zoom. Now, that's not been recommended through the tradition because traditionally it was always taught in person. So my recommendation is when you get the opportunity, if you can learn from a teacher in the vicinity of that teacher, what I've found is that, and this is through my group meditations that I'm holding through Zoom, is that there seems to be a transference of that dynamic regardless of the physical locality, which kind of makes sense because we know that energy isn't limited to the brick walls that are holding it in. I mean, Wi-Fi goes through walls, right? My Wi-Fi modem in this house is four rooms away and I still pick it up here. So the ability for energy to not be limited by physical structures is now starting to prove that the teaching of these traditions can actually be done, I believe anyway. Some of the purists will probably debunk that, but my feeling is subjectively that I'm teaching in person. So I'm doing that now this weekend. I do have an online course where people can learn that on my website, tomcronin.com, and we're putting that into the app called Enter the Portal, where they can learn how to get through the portal into stillness through, through that app. So we're making it available to the masses. The, the, unfortunately, these techniques have been very limited because most of the teachers are generally in fairly wealthy suburbs because it's an expensive technique to learn. So they're in Santa Monica, they're in Paddington, Sydney, they're in Bondi Beach, Sydney, they're in you know, Chelsea, London. But that excludes 99.9% .9 of the world's population from being able to access these profound techniques and teachings. So for me, I was so motivated to somehow bring it to an audience that has been deprived really of the ability to experience these things. Through your website, and I know through the book that you co-authored with Jackie Pfeiffer and the film, which has the same name, The Portal, it's really bringing that message. When I had Jackie on the show, I, I just could not say enough about how touched I was on so many levels. I've seen the film three times now. Just the cinematography and the storyline and the information and actually the way that it is filmed, we actually are being taken into the portal. It was so beautiful. So your desire to bring this to more of a world audience is really coming into fruition right now. 
Yeah, you know, I think this is one of the powerful things about meditation is that you access the field of infinite possibility. You know, just a few years ago, I was just a broker on a trading room floor trading swaps and bonds. And in a very short period of time, we've got seven books out, apps out, films out, you know, running multiple retreats. And this is really where I come from in my coaching is that when you start transcending the limits of your internal mind, which is what's in your skull and what's coded inside your brain, and you access the infinite mind, which is all possibility and all creativity, everything that's manifest is always cognized out of that infinite possibility, then you start to realize how much potential you really do have. And this is what I wanted to share with people as well, is that the portal is really the analogy I like to use is that this phone of mine has a hardware, which is its body. It has a software, which is the coding inside the phone. And that gives it a certain functionality that's kind of limited, but it's still pretty good. You know, it has calculators in there and it has a calendar and it's got a camera in there. So it's got some functionality. But when that phone also has this capacity to access the infinite field of web that's not in the phone, the phone's in the web. So now this is what it does to us when we meditate. We get out of the conditioned and programmed mind that keeps us on this recurring loop of staying in mediocrity. We open up to infinite possibility and we get these incredibly creative visions and intentions and visualizations. So we go, well, let's just start manifesting that. And we find we get very creative. And it was Oprah Winfrey that once said, it is only from that space can you create your best work and your best life. And she's talking about that space of transcending through the portal of meditation and accessing the field of infinite possibility. And that's how we start to optimize and realize our full potential. up next week, our 100th episode. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. My guest is going to be Dr. Morgan Oaks. Morgan is an amazing human being. He's got a great message to share with us. And his TED Talk, The Language of Dude, just so much insight, so much wisdom to share. It's a really special two-hour episode where we have you sending your questions in and we answer those questions. We have guests that are going to pop up on the show and just thrilled to have you be a part of it. So join me next week here on The Spark. Hey there, I'm Kev Cat, and I host No Code Gadio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCo FM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M. Your support means the world to us. Hi, it's Dr. Natalie Phillips from Connecting a Better World. Everything we do here at NOCO FM is member-supported. From the music we play to our original podcasts and live shows, all of that costs money to produce, and we can't do it without you. Become a member today and invest in the programming you enjoy so we can create more together. Learn more at noco.fm. 
accessing your full potential, seven books, films. And I know just from researching you a little bit that you presented with Joe Dispenza, I'm sure just countless others. Talk a little bit about this next part of your journey from when you left stock brokering and, and how that manifested using this. You and I, in a previous conversation, we're talking about just the serendipity of things. Yeah, you know, you start to get in a flow. And, you know, one of the things that when I came out of finance, I really wanted to have a big vision about bringing my message to the world, only because I could just see that there was a lot of people suffering. And look, I wasn't completely free of suffering. And still, it's not like I'm a completely blissed out monk. I do have a lot of bliss, but you know, you, it's not like you're completely removed from challenges, but you certainly start to get a lot more in flow with life and a lot more creative and start to realize a lot more potential. And so when I left finance, I worked with some consultants to establish what's called the stillness project. And that vision was to inspire a billion people to meditate daily. Now, when you plant that seed of intention, and I was initially discussing with our consultants, the, the creatives, and I said, you know, what about inspire a million people to meditate? They said, oh, you'll reach that too quickly. Let's go to a billion. I'm like, a million people is a lot of people. They're like, no, no, keep it at a billion. And, you know, within literally two or three years, you know, our online meditation program was launched by Mind Valley, which went out to two million people. You know, I spoke at A-Fest a couple of times in Mexico and, and in Bali and uh, spoke in Kuala Lumpur at Mind Valley's headquarters, spoke at Burning Man. We did presentations at Davos for the film at the World Economic Forum. So it's been a journey that uh, a lot of corporate uh, workshops and corporate speaking gigs. And, you know, I, I kind of just just go along and do it. And sometimes I have to pause like moments like this, like, oh, yeah, you've actually done a lot. So, and I think a lot of it is because you just effortlessly moving through each moment and each stage without really, you know, quantifying it or ego getting too involved in it. It's just like you just do it and then you see what's the next thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast now. So it's just an interesting process of being present and being open to receiving what the universe helps facilitate for you to manifest your vision and your intention. What I find, particularly when a lot of uh, coaching clients come, to, I sit down with them and we explore what their vision and intention is. So few people actually have any vision or intention. It's like, oh, I don't know, kind of see what happens, which is kind of why a lot of that mediocrity continues to stay in their lives. And so it's about helping them get a little bit clearer about what's possible and access that field of infinite creative potential and then allow through the laws of attraction, the universe to start to put things into place to see it all unfold. As you bring up the law of attraction, I think sometimes in these days, the law of attraction gets a bad rap. They think it's all just about the secret and it goes beyond the secret. I mean, I think that the secret had shared a lot of good information as far as getting that law of attraction, the, that principle out into mainstream. How does mindfulness and meditation go beyond just the secret? Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's, there has certainly been a lot of bad rap about it. And I think that's partly because it was focused a little bit or a lot on manifesting wealth. Law of attraction is happening at all times. Only this morning I had a conversation with a friend who is in a disastrous marriage and a number of challenging experiences in their life. And we were chatting about how that is also a function of the law of attraction, that she 
come from a very abusive childhood and saw her father being quite an unpleasant person. And now she's manifesting and attracting like experiences. And it's not like she's putting her mind in, I want to have a really horrible relationship in my marriage. You know, it's not like that. It's just energetically, vibrationally and conditionally, we manifest and attract that which we're familiar with. And if we're familiar with fear, we'll attract scenarios that will manifest reasons to be afraid. If we're familiar with poverty and vibrating with that sort of alignment, then we'll probably start to manifest experiences that will validate that vibration. So what meditation and mindfulness does, first it allows us to observe this process. Observing the process is really important because then we can start to look at it from a sort of independent objective viewpoint rather than subjective viewpoint and start to watch wow, interestingly how my life's been unfolding, interestingly that I keep being in these scenarios, interestingly that I have that similar vibration and that external alignment is still there. So if I want to change that, then I need to start changing my internal thought processes and feeling processes. So firstly, it gives you the ability to observe and secondly, it gives you some autonomy over what is my feeling level? What is my vibration? What am I drawing into my field? And so meditation and mindfulness, A, it helps us change our frequency as we transcend anger, fear, guilt, shame, and start to resonate with more bliss, love, and joy. We're up-leveling our frequency, our vibration, which means we're going to up-level what we're attracting. So we're also then changing our subconscious belief system that I think energetically also from those traumas that we went through gravitates those experiences to us as well. As a trauma specialist and psychotherapist myself, I deal with a lot of people using EMDR, which is a protocol that helps let go and rewire some of those held beliefs that are attached to those traumas. And they really separate then the memory from the physiological experience so that a person actually is vibrating subconsciously at a different level. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's great to hear you think about your work because it's so important. You know, I, I want to emphasize meditation is not a one-stop shop. I know there are certainly some people out there that's, that's sort of propose that it is, but, you know, integrating it with this type of work that you're talking about really gives it a, a kickstart along and helps you work on so many different layers because it's multi-layered, these processes, particularly deep traumas in the subconscious states and things like that. So we definitely need to have meditation and mindfulness as devices to help facilitate the unraveling and the dismantling of some of those constructs that we have within us, but also having some support along the way, whether it's therapy, psychology, you name it, coaching, to help you also up-level your thinking processes and also address some of those subconscious sort of layers as well. I just think you said it beautifully because I think that that's something that goes wonderfully hand in hand. It's something that when I'm working with someone, that if, if I'm working with a trauma client or any client, mindfulness or meditation is a part of that as well. And, and I tell people even to start with 10 minutes a day because we're not used to mm-hmm. just stopping. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I told you last time we spoke, I was listening to one of your live Facebook videos. And as I was listening to it, I was walking out in the backyard and the green grass was just starting to poke through. And you had just said something about you putting your feet on the earth. And it, it just resonated so deeply just to be there and be quiet and hear the birds singing, feel that green grass beneath us. 
It's a 10 minute experience. It takes us out of whatever mental circumstances, whatever mental squalor we're creating. And all of a sudden we're grounded within this deeper place. And really for me, it was like connecting to the whole. Yeah, beautiful. What I found, you know, when I started meditating was a deeper sense of alignment to not just other people, but to plants, animals, the planet itself. And what happens when you transcend in meditation is we transcend the limits of our own individuation and separateness. That's our mental, physical, and emotional states, which is where we become so narcissistic and self-obsessed and egotistical about. But when we transcend that, it's like the wave suddenly becoming the ocean and realizing that every other wave is the ocean as well. And that I'm actually this oceanic field of interconnectedness, not as a concept in my mind or a construct, but as actually an experience. So oftentimes you've been walking past a tree and you can't help but just want to touch it and feel like you and I are working in this beautiful symbiotic relationship where you giving me oxygen, I'm giving you carbon dioxide. And we're kind of in so many different ways, we're so interconnected and my survival is dependent upon you. And sometimes I've been moved to tears at what they're offering me and how much gratitude I've got for their contribution to my life because I literally cannot exist without that tree or those trees. And, you know, even some mornings I see the sun come up just near my house over the ocean. Um, I live on these cliff tops in Sydney. And to really, really mindfully and consciously engage with Surya, the sun, which is the life force of existence here on planet Earth, you know, it's so powerful and to engage with that. I could never do that prior to meditation. I was so obsessed and caught up in my own individual world, my own neediness and my own desires that I was completely oblivious to all of this beauty that was around me. And so meditation really helps us have that alignment and connectedness. What is next for you? Tell us about what's happening right now with the Stillness Project and what's happening in your world. Well, there's two, two layers to that. The first layer, which was, is purely egoic, where I just want to have a holiday and go and retire and live on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I love just, I'm done. No more social media, no more emails, no more meetings, no more yes. launches. I'm just going to yes. grow organic garlic and play with my dog on the farm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> then the other part of me is like, I, I just, I love enjoying seeing people transform, seeing people wake up, seeing people realize their potential, um, seeing a shift on the planet and realizing how much more we still have to do here before we see people empowered in their own health and happiness. So I'm, I'm focusing a lot. We've got a big launch of the film coming up in the digital space. It's only been shown in cinemas. So obviously that series have, has ended abruptly with coronavirus. So we're just negotiating with some platforms to go out digitally. So that will happen quite soon. We've got the book out, the app, the masterclass is about to launch, which is a 12 step program on overcoming anxiety and depression, which has one of the modules in one of those steps is earthing and being connected to nature, which is really, really healing. I've found and science has proven that it's very, very healing on the nervous system and the mind. So that's coming out as well. But I'm focusing a lot on teaching and coaching. It's been a long time since I've been able to put my energy and attention into coaching people. So I'm really enjoying going back into that space now that the film's completed and um, doing a lot of coaching with people and helping them, particularly transformational leaders that have a voice that 
have something to say that fill this deep yearning to share what they've found within their own journey, but not know how to do it, don't have a business model to it, don't have structure to it. So really helping them get some strategy and structure to scaling their message to the world and helping them find their voice and find the confidence to to get that out to the world. Beautiful. Yes. I know even from our conversation, I was so inspired and, you know, I, I just appreciate that I, I don't even know what to call it. The the love from you, the the energy from you, and just the belief that I think you really hold for other people. You know, that really is a gift. Right now, with shelter in place, all this going on around the world, we're not out of this yet. And I, I don't know about the clients that you work with. With my clients, I noticed that people did okay for about the first 30 days, even though maybe there was a little panic right at the very beginning. And now people are saying, I, I just can't take this anymore. And again, it's like, okay, no one can really change. Our, we can't change our outer circumstances. And if there was a better example of the universe saying, okay, everyone, we're going to practice what it's like to go inward that's what this situation has called us to do. Yeah, we're definitely not out of the woods yet. I think we'll certainly here in Australia and some other parts of the world, we're starting to see some of the doors open up as of next week where there'll be a little bit more freedom to move. We've, we've had very few numbers here, you know, 70 deaths, which is very, very low for a you know, 25 million population, 27 million population. So they've done a very good job of keeping the numbers down. I know New York has been horrendous in America in general has been horrible. So deep condolences to all of you over there and all the other countries that have suffered. The ramifications and the ripple of coronavirus will be felt for some time, I think, certainly economically. And from there, I think there'll be even further ramifications, which we won't go into right now. But I think there's plenty more to unfold through this. I don't think it's about coronavirus per se. I think there's a lot more unfolding, which is a, a, a general shift, a phase shift for the species. So any phase shift usually is a quite an uncomfortable experience. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the analogy I use is if, if little Johnny's been mucking up at home and after a number of warnings, he still mucks up, he's going to get sent to his room and choices removed. And we've literally, as a species, naughty species, been sent to our room and told we've been mucking up and we're not allowed out until we start to have a good deep contemplation about what we've been doing. And then we might be allowed out of our rooms. But if we muck up again, then there'll be even more serious consequences. So we really need to learn some big lessons through this process. And I think that is really starting to happen. I don't think we're quite there yet, but for, for individual purposes, how do we get through this? You know, when we have choices removed, when we have a lot of uncertainty, the one certainty we have is our internal state. And that's where we have to go within. We have to find that deep solace, that deep quiet, and that deep inner divinity. The divine is not concerned about what's going on. It simply observes from this quiet space of watchfulness. We can do what we can do and what we can't do, we can't do. And so when we have those choices removed from us, we have to adapt. And if it's not external things that we can change, we have to change our internal state. What is the state that I'm holding, embodying and vibrating with during these difficult times? That's the only level of power that we have here. And so meditation is one of the tools that can help us do that and find support, find community. The community is all online now. So you're not alone. There are people all around you. There's YouTube, there's apps, there's Zoom. So be sure to bring community into your experience, get support and, and keep communicating, but also 
learn how to sit in stillness and find that solace within yourself. There is so much beauty that lies within us. I absolutely loved this interview with Tom, just showing how we can truly access this internal state that's always available to us if we'll stop and be still and tap in. We really do live in a very uncertain time right now, and just the thought of things being unpredictable can put our minds in a state of anxiety or unrest. It's so wonderful that we really do have this portal to an inner state of peace and expansion, a place where we can truly go within and gather inner strength, a deeper sense of resiliency, compassion and connection, and truly love for ourselves and all other beings on the planet, all other life on the planet. My deepest hope is that you will take the time to just stop and pause no matter what your day involves. When we enter this place that Tom calls the portal, we're able to go to a place of true expansiveness. One of the powerful things is that we really do have the ability to access this field within us and that we really can change our outer experience as we change our inner experience. When we're not in touch with this and when we get so focused on our lives externally, we miss this opportunity to find true resourcefulness, true joy, true connection, and that it doesn't actually lie outside of us. That's such a powerful thing. I think we have to take advantage during this time where we're truly being called by our circumstances to go within, that we utilize this time to do just that. That we allow ourselves this beautiful gift that I truly believe then becomes the gift that we can share with the world. As we are more in a place of being resourced from within, then we can share more love and compassion, more empathy, from this deep well within us. Let's start by cultivating that within ourselves. You can be a part of it too. I love this billion people meditating daily. I think that is one of the most powerful things that we can do when we're oftentimes feeling helpless during these current circumstances. We're not helpless and things aren't hopeless. There is so much hope. There is a beautiful new awareness and consciousness emerging on the planet. And you can plug in by plugging into your inner self and be a part of the change you want to see in the world. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. 
The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. up next week, our 100th episode. I am so excited to share this with you guys. My guest is going to be Dr. Morgan Oaks. Morgan is an amazing human being. He's got a great message to share with us. And his TED Talk, The Language of Dude, just so much insight, so much wisdom to share. It's a really special two-hour episode where we have you sending your questions in and we answer those questions. We have guests that are going to pop up on the show and just thrilled to have you be a part of it. So join me next week here on The Spark. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.